Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Today I'm going to do uh, something that I haven't uh, done before. Um, Now, the title of the message is The Shepherd's Balm. And if you don't know where balm is, um, it is kind of an old school word for like ointment or oil. Excuse me. And... Um, I'm going to do something I haven't done here um, probably, well, ever, I don't think. So part of the role of the pastor, which is actually the role of a shepherd, and let me, let me correct that, it's a, the role of an under-shepherd. Um, part of the role, um, the major thing that we need to do is feed the sheep. So all of us are sheep. I got to feed myself, but I also all of, part of my job and my responsibility as a leader and a pastor is to make sure that I'm feeding you um, God's word, not my selected diet, <clears throat> not my new like impossible burger infused, you know, vegan meat or whatever that nasty stuff is they give at Burger King instead of hamburger now. Um, it's not me trying to like do all that and like trying to chop all that up and dish it out because I think that's what you need. I have to go back to our shepherd, not just yours, mine. And so we do this a lot here. We try to knock down this hierarchy of pastor and congregation. That's not how it's designed to work. It is um, anyone who leads need to be leading from the front and not over, right? So um, part of the job of the shepherd is to ensure that we're feeding correctly. That happens here every week. Go back to his word, go back to the shepherd, and then ask him, what does he want for his sheep? You are his children, not mine. You are his church, not mine. I am a part of this church that has a responsibility to give and serve you in this capacity. And I'm serving God by obediently following his direction to serve you through teaching. It does not mean Um, that just because we lead, me and Nina are kind of, you know, the point person in a lot of these different areas and things like that. It doesn't mean that we have achieved some status over you. No. The, The role of the pastor does not include celebrity or CEO. The role of the pastor is a shepherd, an under shepherd to the shepherd. The, uh, Psalms 23, one of the most famous Psalms starts off with, a phrase that is true for every single person, the Lord is my shepherd. That is a specific, personal verse for every single person, including me. Another part of my job outside of feeding is, um, is also protecting. So how does that, what does that look like to protect the flock? Everybody and anybody can come into this room, into the church, with any kind of belief that they have. It could be incorrect. It could be crazy. It could be, you know, just kind of out there in the blue. It could be influenced by a number of different things. They can come in here with those beliefs, but our entire focus and our entire drive is to submit everything we believe to his word. If someone were to come in here, and this has not happened here, thank God, I'm pretty sure it will, sometime in the future, but at some point, if somebody comes here with a belief that is anti-biblical, that is anti 
Christ, that is anti um, what God stands for in his word, if it's anything like that, and then begins to try to spread that idea or lure people away from following not me, but God, then I am tasked with the difficult responsibility to step in and say, you have to exit. You have to submit to scripture or you got to go. Whenever that day comes, it will not be fun for me. It won't be fun. But it's part of what I'm tasked to do. That's not happening today. Don't worry. Everyone's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Who stepped out on? Who kicking out today? That's not happening. I'm just saying that's one of the roles of what I have to do. Another role of the shepherd is something that I'm going to try to do today that I have done in different spots one-on-one, but not from a group gathering perspective. And that is, um, I'm going to try to, I'm going to attempt to um, do something that we find in Psalms 23, verse 5. And that, when he, and this is continuing on in Psalms 23, and in verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. What I'm going to focus on right there is anointing our head with oil. Now, if you were raised in the, um, <clears throat> the old school Pentecostal days like I was, like in the charismatic church, you know, when you say the word anointing, there's a keyboardist or an organist slowly walking to his instrument right now. The drummer is following him, and then it's ready, and they're ready, they're building up. And when you say the word anointing, they're like, I'm anointed, I'm anointed. Touch my five people and say, I'm anointed, you're anointed, we're all anointed. Anointing's following, yeah, well, people start jumping, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And do all that kind of stuff, hollering, shouting, yes, yes. You know, and then, you know, they like punch all the chords, and the, you, are, we're anointed, yeah, you know what I mean, like, that's the kind of churches I grew up in, you know, <laughs> and so I love it, it's fun, you know, everyone's like, yes, 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 and then somebody asked me one time, what does that mean, yeah, <laughs> I just went, I don't know, what does your anointed mean, in the biblical context, anointing, if you go back and look at how God anointed the kings of Israel, anointed people for positions of authority. It actually meant God is choosing you for an area and an assignment for you to fulfill according to his purpose that gives you not some big fame and and notoriety. It actually gives you a ton of responsibility. When, When Micah or Nina stands here and leads worship, they get about four words out of their mouth before you go, oh gosh, that's exactly what they're supposed to be doing. There is like in this approval of God on what they're doing, right? It's not just a gifting. There is something else beyond the gifting because there's a lot of people that can sing, a lot of people can play an instrument, but there's something going, you are anointed, given the task, the assignment, and the responsibility to stand here and proclaim Jesus and lead all of us into pointing our attention to him. Understand what I'm saying? Because we've all heard singers before and be like, okay, give me a worship person. It's different. It's different. <clears throat> there are times, especially the times that we're living in, that um, I've heard this a lot lately. 
especially from people online, <clears throat> um, that are Christian media personalities, Christian influencers, Christian thought leaders. I don't even know what that is, a thought leader. I'm just going to start making up titles for us. You're a thought leader. What does that mean? I thought of it first. I don't know. Who knows? <clears throat> I have ideas that are out of the box for everybody else. Okay. You're a thought leader, bro. Good job. Um, but I've heard a lot of these people say, you need to, they're telling Christian people in churches, you need to, I've heard this w within the last several days, actually, um, over the last year, but especially in the last several days, you need to go to your pastor and tell them, I want you to preach on these hot button political issues. Because the only reason your pastor's not preaching on those things is because he's afraid. He's afraid of losing their offerings. He's afraid of losing people. He's afraid of being ridiculed online. He's afraid of doing all this stuff. And you need to go tell your pastor to speak on these topics that are out there in the culture right now. Um, that is a self-defeating effort. Because if you do that to your pastor, and nobody has done that here, thank God. Um, but if you do that to your pastor, you are only hearing the thing you want to hear. You are not hearing the life-giving, life-changing word of God that does not come from your pastor, but he is presenting it to you because it comes from God's word. If you are ever not at RCC in the future, I hope that's none of you. I hope you all stay here and we all grow old together and the trumpet shout, uh, sounds and we will all rise together. I hope that happens. But if you are ever in a sp position where your job changes, you know, you go to school somewhere, you move because you don't like the heat, you know, or whatever, whatever those things are, and you go somewhere, that's what you have to look for in a shepherd. You have to look for that in a pastor. And if those things are not evident, I'm going to encourage you to run. Because there's some bad days coming if you're not looking for a shepherd. <clears throat> the shepherd's job is not to tell you or feed you what you want. Shepherd, the under-shepherd's job is to go to all of our shepherd and say, what do you want me to communicate to your people from your word today? Because sometimes, it, all of it will apply to me, but sometimes it's not something I'm dealing with specifically at that moment. Because he's trying to direct you in a specific way. However, I'm going to deal with a couple of cultural issues today. And let me tell you why. <clears throat> you anoint my head with oil. This is David who was a shepherd, remember? He was in the fields caring for sheep when he was called in by the prophet to say, you're going to be the king. He is in the field. And after he was anointed the king, he went back to the field and cared for those sheep. He knew exactly what he was doing and saying in this passage, you anoint my head with oil. Why in the world would a shepherd 
take oil and pour it over the head of a sheep. Seems like a bad use of oil to me. Dudes are outside all the time. They're using the bathroom and eating, eating right next to each other. <laughs> Seems like I could do something else with the oil. Why in the world are you pouring oil on the sheep's head? <clears throat> now I'm just going to tell you this is a little gross. It's not horrific, but just gross. So if you're a weak stomach person here, just prepare yourself. <clears throat> it's the first line here in your notes. This explains why the shepherd uses oil or balm. It's like a, the word balm is kind of like for ointment, like a thick ointment. Sheep are particularly susceptible to flies landing on their noses. Flies landing on their noses. <clears throat> Next on your notes, this is why this is bad. Flies travel up the sheep's nose. Anybody else's eyes watering yet? Because mine are. And lay eggs inside the nose, which turn into worms that can burrow, not the Bengals quarterback, but burrow into the animal's brain. So, this is not happening after the sheep is dead. This is happening when the sheep is alive. These flies are around all the time. It stinks. There's sweat. There's, you know, manure. There's, there's, there's water. There's stagnant pools of water. There's all kinds of stuff. And there's these flies flying around in their environment. And they start to make their way to this moist part of the, the, the sheep's face and the nose. And they begin to crawl up the nose and lay eggs. And then they fly out. And those eggs turn into worms that scatter across the brain into the, to the brain, the, 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 cranial cavity of the sheep and for you and me this is I can't even imagine being alive and feeling those things crawling on the back of my eyeballs or the pain that they're that it's causing to to, to to burrow through parts of the thinner parts of my skull to get to the brain for you and I we go man if something was in my nose I don't know if you ever been somewhere and had like a little moth fly up your nose that is the worst visceral gag rack. You know, you know, like you're grabbing. So you could put your, if you could put your whole hand up one of your nostrils and grab that thing out and pull it, you would do it, right? These sheep don't have hands. They can't itch their face. They don't speak, so they cannot communicate to the shepherd what's going on. And so when this happens, when this happens, next sign of your notes, this is how they deal with it. Sheep will bang their heads against hard surfaces. They will bang their heads against hard surfaces, such as trees, rocks, walls, posts, brush, etc., to get rid of the irritation. So imagine, that, some, like tying your hands behind your back, and this is happening in your head. What would you do? You're just, ugh. You ever had your back need to itch and you can't reach it? You don't have nobody next to you, and just, or they're strangers. You're like, can you get my right shoulder, bro? You know, <laughs> it's not going to be cool. Trying to look for a corner, right? You're like trying to like scratch it yourself, like rub your shoulder up and down. This is, 
the position these guys are in, and the only thing that they can think of to release the irritation is to start banging their head on this hard surface to get it to stop. Please let this stop. And the problem with that, next on your notes, is this banging can lead to death. They can literally kill themselves from the irritation. <clears throat> so when the shepherd applies, next on your notes, to oil and balm to the sheep's nose and head to prevent the flies from laying eggs in their nasal cavities. <clears throat> so one more gross thought here for you. The shepherd takes this balm, this ointment on his fingers and he sticks his hands into the nose, the nasal cavity of the sheep, and lines that nostril on both sides with that ointment. And the reason is the flies will come in, and if they land, they try to lay eggs, and the eggs do not attach to the, to the membrane that's in their nose. They don't attach to that they literally slide right off and fall on the ground. If the fly makes it in, he tries to lay something there, and it falls right back out. The analogy here is not, if you don't serve God, worms are going to eat your brain and you're going to die. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the analogy here. The purpose of the oil and anointing our head with oil is the shepherd puts oil on our head to keep those irritants from creating destructive thoughts and leading us to extreme frustration and harm. <clears throat> I want you to get the picture he's painting here. These outside things, these outside irritants are trying to get into the sheep and deposit something that will destroy their mind and cause them to act in destructive ways. That's the analogy. <clears throat> There's a lot of things going on in our world, and I'm going to deal with only five of them right now. A lot of things going on in our world that we need to realize are not nearly as important as they seem at this moment. They're irritants. Things in our environment that are trying to work their way inside of us to get things in our head that will cause us massive confusion and lead us to destructive decisions. Part of what I'm trying to do is apply the oil today, apply the ointment, and guess what? I didn't go and create this new extra strength ointment. I opened up the cap on the Bible, and that's where I found it. <clears throat> so, cultural irritant number one. For all those of you who are tense at the moment, not knowing where we're going, <clears throat> culture, uh, the irritant, the first irritant, the culture. The culture. <clears throat> now look, I was born and bred in the South. We cry at the national anthem. You cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. I buy a Pepsi for, for military guys in the airport. I say thank you to your service, for your service. Anybody I know who 
you know, was a frontline person, we're good. You know, I get chills when the Blue Angels fly on the 4th of July. You know, if you don't know what they are, just Google them. The airplanes flying over the Super Bowl. The guy parachutes in with an American flag. He's like, yes, everybody's cheering. They're like, God bless America, man, you know. Give me a hot dog. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm, I'm, I love it. And because I was raised in that environment and culture, it took me a long time to understand I hate the culture. I don't hate freedom. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate the people who paid the price for this freedom or this country. We have no idea how good we have it. The freedom to walk in here like this and not be tracked and identified and have all your credit cards or your bank accounts frozen because you gathered in a place that dared say the name of Jesus, which happens way more often than we know. People pulling up on remote islands to tell people about Christ and they are immediately murdered and left on the shore. We don't know how good we have it. One of the most prosperous nations in the history, no, the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. But when I say the culture, I'm not talking about the freedom and all that kind of stuff. When I say the culture, here's what I mean. The actions that are encouraged and acceptable in our nation. The actions and ideas that are promoted and accepted in our country. People are crazy. Our politicians are lying. Every single one of them. It just goes nuts. I hate the destructive culture that is no longer wandering away from God, looking in the other direction of God. No, they got in the Maserati and floored that bad boy on the I-10 West, and they are getting that far, 190 miles an hour away from God at that pace. They're encouraging all of us, when you walk away from, from God, you have no other thing that will define you outside of yourself. So just look in you, man. Just look in you. Whatever you want, however you feel, bro. Can't tell you nothing. Why? Because it's all about you. The outside influence is trying to make its way inside of you to deposit things in your mind that will lead you down a destructive path. But we're going to apply the balm today of a cult to, a, to prevent the entrance of a culture that is spiraling out of control. Tony Evans said it best. He said, if you are a believer in the United States of America, you no longer have home field advantage. You used to. You don't now. And that is the truth. What is the balm that we should apply when dealing with the culture? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, proud un, um, and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred, 
They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. This was all just in the last Disney movie. (laughs) They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they will reject the, the power that could make them godly. Here's the balm. Ready? Stay away from people like that. Matt, I live in this world. Right, you're going to be around them, but you don't have to bring them inside to a certain level of influence where they can deposit these cultural anti-biblical ideas inside of your heart and mind that will eventually drive you to bad decisions. James lines this out pretty direct for us. I love James. This is a good one. James 1, 26 to 27. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Bam. Well, thank you, James. Give it to me straight. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows, and typically that's where people stop. But there's an and there. And refusing to let the world corrupt you. The balm that is supposed to be applied to us as sheep to prevent the outside culture from depositing its nonsense into us to drive us crazy is his word. Stay away from people like that. Control your mouth and do not let the world corrupt you. Number two, second thing that's out there that's an irritant, politics. Politics. Politics is, after God, the largest religion in this country. It is a religion. Complete faith in things you can't see, and people who have lied to your face before and demanded your vote, and you gave it to them, and they went right back and did something else. I see this in play a lot. Not only in our country, but my brother is a pastor in New Zealand. And after Australia and Portland, Oregon, (laughs) they have the most restrictive COVID policies you've ever seen in your life. You cannot drive outside of the city limits without paperwork and permission. I drove to Glendale this morning to speak to a, a home group, and I could not have done that, crossed the Phoenix city limits to get to Glendale without paperwork and permission. Where am I going? How long am I going to be there? Who is, who is uh, going to be there? And uh, when are you coming back? And uh, do you have three masks on or four? That one's just me being facetious. There's enough of that red, white, and blue still in me to be like, mm-mm. Heck no, bro. But guess what? Elections are coming up in a few months, and miraculously, all these restrictions start to be relaxed. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. Should you mask? Should you vax? Should you not vax? I don't care. None of that matters to me. But you can see the, you can see the ploy, right? You can see the game. Locked down because that's what I want to do. But hey, the elections are coming up. So look, we did all this good stuff. So vote for me again. And we'll just relax it for now. There's no more variants. 
And then what happens? They get into power after they promised everything, and what do they do? Whatever they stinking well please. If you're a Democrat, you look at Republicans like they're these backwards Neanderthals who are greedy and don't care about anybody. If you're a Republican, you look at the Democrats like they're these backwards Neanderthals that don't think. They don't, they don't have no mind in their head. They don't have two cents to rub together. And you think that your party is going to solve it. And guess what? Anybody ever seen any of those things solved? Or did we only believe our guy won, so we're back on track. Okay. About five years ago, I got so heavily invested, personally, in this political back and forth, I found myself at work one day, complete transparency and embarrassing, getting up from my desk and having to go to the bathroom and wash my face because I just read something online where I was like, <sighs> I was, my heart was beating fast. I was getting red in the face. I was, oh, I was breathing heavy. I was like, I can't believe this. I was so angry. And I stopped myself and I'm like, what am I doing? I am getting all twisted up from people I don't know, saying things I don't agree with to people I don't even know if they're reading it. And at that point, I'm like, I'm divorcing myself from the political thing. I've hated it my whole life. I figured I'd just embrace it, and it, man, it wrecked me. So it's the bomb to the political temptation to point at the guy who's red or blue or the donkey or the elephant or we're the one who has the answers, not you, and you're dumb, and you don't know anything, and da-da-da, listen to me. Philippians 3, 17 through 20. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Stop right there. This is not me talking to you. This is the Apostle Paul telling everybody, I'm following Christ, so follow him. Let's get that straight. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. The vast majority of politicians. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. What is the balm that resists the political nonsense it's trying to take root in you and drive your mind in a certain direction uh you're not a citizen here matt are you telling me not to vote no you tell me i shouldn't care about the direction of our country no care about it don't let it so deep inside you that it takes charge of your thoughts and directs you down a path that is ultimately destructive and away from god Pay attention. Be involved. You want to run for city council? My God, we need believers in the Phoenix City Council. You want to run for president? I'm going to stand back here and pat you on the back and be like, hey, bro, hope you make it. <laughs> I ain't getting close to that one. We need people who are going to have, take godly principles and live an honest life in these areas, but we're not citizens here. 
Third thing, the economy. The economy. Matt, did you hear they have a digital dollar? Yep. You hear the goal is to get rid of all the cash? Yep. Did you hear they're going to try to track and tax every single thing we buy? Yep. There's not going to be any more privacy in the banking sector. Right. Do you think all that's going to happen? Probably. We need to rise up and do something. Well, before we do that, have we rised up and done something with the gospel that's in our hand? Or does it only happen when our money is impacted? Will you go through a time where there might be less options for you to buy something at the store? Probably. Are you wanting this to happen? No, but no history, no, no nation throughout the history has, uh, the, the history of the world has lasted forever. Rome lasted 400 years. You should read what happened in the last third of that empire's reign. It was crazy. Are you giving up on the U.S.? No, but I'm not a citizen here. And the economy here is not my source. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 11. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Solomon's on a real positive note on this one, right? <clears throat> Matt, are you against money? No. I want everybody in here to have 10 times the amount of money they have because I'm pretty sure that most people in here will not be all greedy and selfish. They'll probably go help a whole bunch of people. I want you to have money. I want your business to grow. If you have a business now, you probably need a second to start a second business so you can afford to drive to your first business, right? If you have a one job, you probably need a second job to pay for the gas to get you to the first job. It's out of control. It's nuts. But that little green piece of paper with a dead president on it, it's not my source. It's not yours either. What is the balm that uh, protects us from going down that, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about our money, our, our, the economy? What are we going to be doing about releasing this prosperity? What are we going to do if they change from the petrodollar to the whatever other currency they want to use? What are we going to do in the middle of all this stuff? Um, we're going to rely on our source. Philippians 4, 18 through 19, Paul is thanking the church in Philippi for giving him money and support. And here's what he says, at the moment, I have all I need. This man's in prison. I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me from a, with Epaphroditus. They're a sweet-smelling sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Notice that the Christian leader here doesn't say that uh, the same God who has given me um, abundance and excess might break you off a little something if you give an offering plate. Nope. This man is relying on Christ the same way everybody else is relying on Jesus. 
What is the balm that we should apply to these outside um, uh, thoughts and these outside worries of the economy and what's going to happen and our lifestyle is going to change and all that's going to happen? It may happen and it won't, some of that will not be fun. But guess what? We're not citizens here. It's not our source. Apply that balm and do not let that stuff breed anything in you that would destroy your mind and your focus on Christ. Fourth thing, personal identity. Personal identity. Throughout the history of mankind, people have been trying to find ways to not fill the God-shaped hole in their life with God. You read history, biblical history, world history, you'll find that people lust for power. I want control. I want all this stuff. And the further a culture gets away from God, and the further they go down the road realizing that the politicians that they worship or submit to cannot fulfill every guttural, visceral desire that they have, they begin to look inward and they idolize themselves. What do I want? What feels good to me? What makes sense to me? People do this. This is why the, the, um, one of the biggest idols today is Asherah. And we don't call it Asherah, but Asherah is the god of fer- goddess of fertility and sex. This is worshipped in this country. Worshipped. Sexuality. Because when I can't find my identity in God, when I can't find anybody above me who can give me exactly what I want, I'm going to figure out how I should be presented to the world. I'm going to take hormone injections, I'm going to change my gender, I'm going to do all of this stuff, and we look at these, these places that are encouraging nine-year-olds to go through this transitioning and all this kind of stuff, and we cheer because progress. But after them injections are done, and that kid is more miserable than when they started, no one talks about it. You ever heard the stories of detransitioning? That's crazy. There are hundreds and thousands of people who go, I regret what I did to myself in the name of I'm trying to build an identity. Are you supposed to look at people who are struggling in this thing and being like, you're an idiot. I can't find that in scripture. I missed the the chapter about ridiculing people into salvation. Mocking them into submission. (laughs) Missed that one. Because it doesn't work. Anybody ever heard that testimony? People made fun of me so much, I just came to Jesus. Anybody heard that testimony? Because I missed that one. I watch a lot of YouTube. I haven't seen that one. Nope. You are supposed to have your identity rooted in him. I don't want to speak up, man. I don't want to say anything that would make people offend. I'm not telling you to make fun of people. I'm telling you, you go be secure in who God made you to be. 
and let your light shine to the people who have been lied to and deceived because our culture is promoting all this stuff to get inside you, to deposit these ideas and take your mind in a direction away from God. First Peter 2, 9 through 12. You are a chosen people. He's talking to believers here. You're royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. It doesn't say you can mock them. It says, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. You, once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away, uh, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. I don't see the part in here that says Christians make an intellectual argument so well that it belittles and berates the people who disagree with you. Live honorably in front of every believer, regardless what their struggle is, regardless what crazy thing they may believe or lie they may have believed or uh, uh, submitted to, live honorable in front of them because they may reject you at this moment, but after all the celebration is done and they still can't sleep at night, they might just remember you. The fifth one, this is a big in the church world. <clears throat> the end times, the end times. This is a big one. Matt, you see what's going on with Russia and Ukraine? Yep. This is it, man. Gog and Magog. It's not, but okay. I can see why you believe that. This World War III is going to be it. They're firing up the nukes and, oh, the Lord's coming back. There's a trumpet in Revelation. It blasts off, right? And there's a feast of trumpets in September. He's coming back in September. I listened to that in 2018. And we're all still here. I heard that in 2019 after the blood moons. And we're all still here. I heard that in 2020 because of COVID. This is the, the plague that the horsemen sweeping the earth. We're all still here. 2021, it was something else, and we're all still here because they counted the numbers from Israel's existence or whatever on a map. And then today, oh, September again. This war, being the tipping point, Jesus, this is it, man. Jesus is coming back. You know, historically, um, every group of Christian people throughout history who have experienced some type of war thought that was it for them. Can you imagine the Crusades? These guys were being attacked by Muslims, and all of them. It was the root cause for all those fights. They were being attacked by Muslims, branded, literally branded, as Christians and believers, and they were trying to be systematically wiped out. You think those guys didn't look at everything happened in Revelation and think, man, this has got to be it. World War I? Hitler? Killing Jews? 
wiping them off the face of the earth, man, that's got to be it. He's got to be the Antichrist, right? Like, I would have thought that. World War II, atomic bombs being blown up entire cities. Are you kidding me? The world is over. Vietnam, Korea, and now Ukraine. Man, this is it, bro. This is it. God's coming back, like, today. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it home tonight. He's coming back now. Now, let me stop you right there. If you believe that, I can completely understand why. Because you cannot listen to any Christian thing online or from some television show where somebody is going, dude, this looks This looks like the end. This is the end. I can completely see and understand why people think this. I'm not here making fun of you. I'm making fun of the people I've heard say this over and over and over again, and it never happens. Do I think Jesus is returning? Absolutely. Is he coming back for his children? Absolutely. Is he going to fight for us and set up a new heaven and a new earth and reign for a thousand years? Absolutely. Do I think that's already happened? No. Matt, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Does it matter? Because the post-trib folks, if we go pre-trib, they're going to be happy. And the post-trib people, if they're right, they're going to wish they weren't. If you're mid-trib, that doesn't make sense to me, but I, I okay. I was raised the pre-trib. I lean that direction probably personally, but I look at some of the arguments and I've seen these scholars present. I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that anymore. Doesn't mean I don't think he's coming. Matt, how are you so sure that this war in Ukraine is not him, is not setting up, you know, this army to come down that little passage of, of land around one of the, the, the seas over there and, and get into Iran and join forces and just rain down on Israel? How are you so sure that's not really happening? Well, and how are you sure, so sure that it's not really the thing that he's coming back like so, so quickly right now? Matthew 24, 1 through 8. It's going to disappoint some of y'all. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, and most people put a comma where the Bible puts a period. There's wars and rumors of wars, man. This is it. Let's read the whole statement. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end, what? Won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of birth pains, and this part is not real fun, with more to come. Well, Matt, couldn't we be on the, like, 
that th that was the first, maybe the early awards were the first. We're kind of on the back end of these things. Like this could be, sure, it could be. But scripture tells us that when Christ returns, it'll be like the days of Noah. People will be going about their life as if nothing's different. People will be like, turn to Christ. He's returning. They'll be like, dude, you're crazy. There's nothing wrong. They're in marriage, given in marriage. They're celebrating. They're having all these celebrations. There's moving along. All of us right now could be so concerned. Is Jesus coming back? Is Jesus coming back? If he does, you're going. Do I want him to find me arguing the fundamentals of eschatology, which is a, a, a big church word of saying the end times? Do I want him seeing me and Christian sitting here and arguing about pre-trib and most-trib, post-trib, or do I want him to find me teaching, preaching, feeding the homeless, caring for the widows and orphans, remaining uncorrupted from the world? Do I want him to find me in mid-stride, obeying him, taking the light to the darkness, or do I want him to find me arguing about something that is an internal discussion between believers? Should I be ready to go and watch all of my family as I am caught up into the air to be with Jesus? Look at all the people I live still standing Standing there on the ground and be like, I was right, it was pre-trib. Or is my heart going to break because I spent more time having outside people pump me with fear and crazy ideas or, or, or taking scripture and telling me it's going to happen right this second and they sound so smart, don't they? They talk in a certain way and convince me and they talk about words that I don't understand in the Greek and the Hebrew and they talk about areas of the, of, of, on these maps and things that I don't really understand and I'm like, man, they sound so right. But the Bible says this is just the beginning. What if that big, huge, massive World War III, none of us want to happen and none of us want that to happen? We need to pray that that, that does not happen. We need to ask God to prevent that from happening. To take all the crazy on every side of the, the world that's going right now and calm that crazy. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are literally being killed and dragged in the street as believers in Christ in Ukraine. We need to pray for the believers in Russia that 90% of them are involved in the Russian Orthodox Church. And how many of y'all think that that's straight Jesus gospel? We need to pray that God's purpose advances why we're not citizens here if war happens god forbid please god do not let that happen but what if that's just the beginning and not the end what if this community of believers becomes people that rely on each other in a time of economic downturn cultural collapse that need each other to survive because that's how the church has existed historically for generations. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 
is his day of return drawing near? Yes, every day we get one day closer. Do we have to listen to the outside craziness that's trying to deposit in us some fear or desire to be right and sling internal arguments at our brothers and sisters in Christ that distracts us from the purpose that we're supposed to be achieving and accomplishing? Our entire goal is to what? Love God, love people, and take the light to the darkness and serve each other and love each other and represent Christ with our life to the world. So I dealt with five current cultural issues. Not for the sake of being relevant, because somebody said, you need to do that. No, because why? We need to apply the balm of God's word and not let what's going on around us so deep in us that it challenges the thoughts we have in our minds and drives us crazy to the point where we don't even know what's right and we just dive into satisfying our own flesh. How? Do we remove the outside irritants? Next two lines in your notes. We completely apply the balm of God's word to our life. Matt, you always talk about the Bible and tell me to read the Bible. It is the balm that will help these things not take root. And when these outside influences try to plant these things in us so deep that it changes our mind from the way God has designed us to think, those things will fall right out. When they can't take root in you, those ideas die. If you want some balm, let me open up. A fresh tube here for you, Psalm 55, 22. Apply this liberally. Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not per permit the godly to slip and fall. Let me open up a tube of extra strength ointment and balm for you here. Colossians 3, 1 through 11. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of you. 
the balm of God's word, him anointing your head with oil, is straight out of scripture. And it helps prevent these outside things from getting so deep in you that they drive you crazy to the point where it leads you to destruction. His word is what keeps you from that. So, my question for y'all today is this. What things are causing you to be irritable? What outside things have made their way so deep into you that it is driving you crazy? It's driving you insane. There's this, I can't, I can't, can't think about the right thing to do. I can't figure out which is the right way to go because I put all of this craziness, all of this outside influence inside of me and it is hatching stuff in my mind that is just, is just out of control. Is there anything that you're allowing in that is doing that to you? What things have landed in your heart, developed uncontrolled thoughts in your mind, dominate your focus, and cause you to feel as if you're banging your head against a wall while turning your attention away from the solution and into more problems? What is that thing? That's the question. What is that thing? It could be, some, it could be something here that we mentioned tonight. It could be something completely different, and it doesn't matter. And if you are struggling with any of the things we've mentioned tonight, I don't want you to feel condemnation or embarrassment. What I want you to feel is, <sighs> he anoints my head with oil. He has given us the balm, the ointment, the thing that will prevent these things from hatching these different ideas inside our head. I've not been especially artful in my presentation tonight, so if I've used some words incorrectly, forgive me. My goal here tonight is to show you and maybe even apply a little bit the balm of the shepherd, the good shepherd, not the under shepherd, the good shepherd. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd several times in John 10. He is the good shepherd. Take the balm that he provides and apply it to your life so this stuff doesn't get inside you and take root. You are supposed to have roots in him, not letting outside ideas take root in you. You are the tree not the soil.